All right, well, welcome on my next guest. We got Super Bowl champion, longtime Denver Broncos offensive tackle, and now turned sports broadcaster, Mr. Ryan Harris. Ryan, how's everything going for you? Great, Zach. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, I don't know if you saw this news about Notre Dame. Is this is this a hiccup you expected, or what do you expect? What, what do you think is going to come of this? Well, you know, I think the best thing you can do in the face of coronavirus is expect the unexpected and, and be able to adapt and be flexible. And uh, Notre Dame's showing that right now. Unfortunate that the health of some of the team has been affected. And, um, and also not the only story. You know, I think the mistake we make in these times is to think that we own suffering or problems and we don't. So a lot of people are going through a lot worse. And uh, hopefully Notre Dame, this is just a hiccup and you get back and finish the rest of the year, win the ACC and go to the college football playoffs and win a national championship. Yeah, that's the goal. That's the goal. So I want to ask you a little bit about your time there. What made you decide to commit there? Well, it was, it was very powerful to have Tyrone Willingham there uh, as a head coach, especially at that time. Um, and for me, I knew it was the Notre Dame was the best place it gave me the best opportunity to compete on the field and off and walking around Notre Dame's campus and, and being around some of the other campuses I visited to, I did want to compete in the classroom, you know, because I knew if I had a career, even a 10th of mine that I had, that I was going to at some point not be an athlete. And I wanted to continue to contribute and create change and impact um, through success. So uh, Notre Dame gave me that best opportunity and not being in a conference, we got to play great teams, really see the country in a way that teams and conferences aren't able to. Absolutely. So was the NFL on the back of your mind or were you just kind of focused on school at that time? Well, you can't put the NFL on the back of your mind, you know, because <laughs> you're playing football. And, and for me, I just wanted to be, I wanted to find my greatness. I wanted to, I wanted to see how great I could be. And, and being at Notre Dame really gave me that opportunity to show people and to show myself what I was capable of. Absolutely. So, so when did you kind of hear from teams saying like, okay, like this is not, not only is this a dream, this is soon going to be a reality. When did that kind of kick in? Charlie Weiss, after my junior season, uh, I got, you know, they, they reached out to me and they said, Hey, coach wants us to see. And I'm like, Oh crap. Like I didn't do anything wrong. I, you know, I don't know <laughs> what happened. And I got in the room and I got into his office and Charlie Weiss, uh, bless his heart. He goes, Brian, I think you might be thinking about the NFL draft, but here's why I think you should stay. And I'm sitting in this meeting, and he, and he continues to go on on the things he wants to work on with me and the things that we can do together as a, as a team moving forward. And I was like, he's like, so I don't want your answer right now, but think about it for a couple of days and get back to me. And I left that meeting like, he thinks I can play in the NFL? Like, this is the guy who just won three championships with the, <laughs> with this, you know, New England Patriots. I, I didn't even think about it. And – but because of that meeting, then I really was able to realize my potential, but also realize how people had started treating me differently who maybe had seen that before I did. So it was an eye-opening experience. And I'm forever grateful to Charlie Wise for a lot of reasons. But one of them is that he taught me a, a capability about myself that I didn't know. And he taught me that before people were able to take advantage of me. Absolutely. So what was draft night like for you? Oh man, it was miserable, man. My draft year was the, uh, <laughs> it was the year where the first round went like three hours. So I, I was wow. like, Hey, I'm going to watch, you know, and I was expected <laughs> to go at the end of the first all the way, maybe mid second. And, um, and so, you know, I finished the first Godfather movie and it was like pick 26. <laughs> and I had this neighbor who I still haven't seen to this day since who I didn't see before. And she would come in every, you know, about hour and be like, Hey, did anything happen yet? anything happened yet? So about like the sixth time she came in, they got to the third round and I'm like, I'm getting out of here. So 
So that was a scout. To, that wasn't a neighbor. That was a scout. I don't know what she was, but, you know, <laughs> I, I was on my way to, to Dairy Queen to eat my feelings, and then I got a call. Uh, my agent said, hey, the Denver Broncos are going to pick you next. You're going to get a call from, from, um, um, from Coach Shanahan and, and, their, and their GM, Ted Sundquist. And so I ran home, and it was just an amazing moment to talk to Mike Shanahan. You know, these are people who yeah. I've watched and, you know, yeah. just – all of a sudden you're talking to them, spending time with them. And I'm joining a team that had John Lynch and, 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 you know, many other players who I've now, you know, are now friends of mine. So awesome. it was just such a surreal experience. And I was also thinking, thank God it wasn't Buffalo, you know, to me <laughs> that draft night, you could be from Buffalo, you know, to, to LA and in between. And, yeah. you know, not a lot of people want to, you know, build their career and live in Buffalo, uh, in Buffalo, New York. No offense to Buffalo, New York. Great fan base. Of course. But uh, as a Minnesota kid, I was looking to do something different than freeze my ass off all winter. Yeah, great fan base. Not good for tables at all. But um, (laughs) um, so was it a challenge for you to get used to the altitude? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, It was a challenge for me to get used to speed. I mean, I think I remember – after one of the, after like a third OTA practice, I was just like, I think I got to tell them I can't play football. I don't, you know, or <laughs> are they going to find that out? And I just didn't quit. You know, I was like, well, if I'm bad at football, they're going to tell me. So until they do, I'm going to keep playing. And I, I kept playing until I called it on my own terms 10 years in. I have a question. So after so you spent a couple of years in Denver and then you were bouncing around a little bit before you went back to Denver, what was your, your thought process when you weren't really getting as much playing time as you're used to? make the most of the opportunity. You know, I, I, I was fired from Denver my fifth year in the NFL because I was arrogant and unwilling. So for me, I just wanted to be a great teammate. I wanted to do everything I could to give myself the opportunity to win. I, I recognized and, and canceled a lot of distractions, a lot of people who were taking time and, and, you know, people who made me feel guilty if I wasn't going to see them or see, you know, support whatever they were doing. And then when I left Denver, 99.8% of those people stopped reaching out to me. So it was a great lesson for me to never become arrogant and unwilling to learn and work and ask questions. And I just focused on that and becoming the best player I could for the next few years until I returned to Denver and we won a Super Bowl. So I have a question about that. So I saw that the couple about a month and a half ago or something when, when they got, when that guy put up that Twitter question that went viral, what was your best sports moment? Yours caught a lot of attention. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, Is it, I, know, think- the, I, I, I got to play, you know, I played two years in, in Houston after leaving Denver. And then I went to Kansas City and started, first of all, survived that training camp. Andy Reid runs a tough <laughs> training camp. And I'm thankful for it even to this day. I mean, the training camp I went through with Andy Reid um, was just, it made me a better football player. Coach Andy Heck there is a fantastic offensive line coach. And so I survived training camp and then started 15 games. And after that, they said, uh, Ryan, we don't think you have any football left. So I was like, man, you know, they're wrong. And people lie to you all the time, right, even about your own ability. So fortunately enough, Gary Kubiak now was at the Broncos. We went back and won a Super Bowl. So I'm so thankful that they let me go so I could get my ring. What was it, what was it like just getting to know Peyton Manning that well and then just having all that success? It was excellent. You know, it was, it was eye-opening. You know, the, the, the capability that we all have within us to succeed at a high level is something that even before playing with Peyton and being in the NFL for eight, not eight years up until that point was something that I hadn't even reached. And it was so fun to be in that environment. I was on teams, Zach, that, you know, would go out on Thursday and Friday nights and, and show up Saturday morning meetings without sleeping 
And that's what they thought, you know, was gave them the best chance to win. And so I was a, I was an outcast a couple of times because, hey, man, there's plenty of time to do what you want to do in the offseason, but I want to win a championship. Yeah. And, you know, that made me realize playing with Peyton and on that Super Bowl 50 team, there are a lot of people who do not want to be great, even in the NFL. I mean, there are 1,600 football players in the NFL this year, and only 53 will call themselves champions. And it's not because everybody's lacks talent. Everybody has the talent, of course. But that willingness to commit and to believe in the details is the separating factor. And it was so great to be around a team of players yeah. that recognized the opportunity and did everything we could to do it so we could enjoy it for the rest of our lives. And then, so speaking of having all these players all wanting to have that individual success, are you surprised to see that there's been zero cases of COVID in the NFL basically so far? Or do you think all these guys are just holding each other accountable? I think it's phenomenal. But it, it, but I don't think anybody really expected it. They expected a few. Yeah, I mean, I think there were a few earlier on, yeah. you know, before they got to the bowl. But yeah. I'll tell you, Zach, when that, you know, week two now, guys are going to start getting their paychecks. Yeah. And uh, week four, you're going to be done paying off debt that you accrued. So – now you're going to start talking about young players, especially on teams that maybe already don't have a shot at the playoffs. I mean, 40 injuries in week two alone in 14 games. That's brutal. So now you say, well, what does a 23, 24, 25-year-old do with $100,000 cash, no time, you know, time to do whatever they want? Yep. You know, so to me, this is the area where in the next couple of weeks you'll start entering. And if the NFL can get through this piece, um, then it is quite remarkable, absolutely. And then, so speaking of the injuries, I know he's going to be out for a couple of weeks, but he's not out the whole season. I know you're very high on Drew Locke. What have you liked that you've seen out of him thus far in his NFL career? Well, he can throw the deep ball, which is a very important facet to every offense because it really forces safeties to stay 15 yards deep versus maybe 10 or even seven if they don't believe in that quarterback. It creates production and, and also other passing lanes, but he's also got great weapons. No offense, in my opinion, is a top five tight end in the NFL. He's incredible. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's just – he's got – he's fourth in receiving yards, four tight ends in the NFL, and he's, and he's 11th in attempts. So they're not utilizing him the same way that they should be, like a Darren Waller in Las Vegas. So Drew Locke has tools around him. He did lose Cortland Sutton, so that's going to be tough. And Jerry Judy will grow quicker because of that. Um, but Drew Locke's got a great arm, and he's got great leadership from, this, from the people I talk to in the building. And those things bode well for a quarterback. Absolutely. So I want to talk about that Super Bowl. So any jitters going into the game? What was it, what was it like? Heck yeah, man. I mean, you are on the verge <laughs> of immortality, you know. And even the night before, I was saying to myself, you know, I am terrified that my greatest achievement is going to be my greatest failure if we lose this game. You know, they call uh, people who lose the Super Bowl reachers. Oh, yeah, reach the Super Bowl. I don't want to be a reacher my whole life. I want to know this moment. I want to know what it takes to win. I want to hear those calls and make those blocks to help my team win. And we did that. And that knowledge that I have with me uh, will stay with me forever. And, and then, of course, going to the White House and, and getting our rings and sizing my ring next to Peyton Manning is just something like, you know, you couldn't write a story better. And, and, it, and it just immediately brought up this passion for me to help other people find that moment in their life, whether in life or business. So I, I really create impact now by encouraging other people to follow their dreams, persevere, and, and I do it by talking about my failures many times as well. And I saw that you wrote a, a, very, a book. Is that a lot, you put a lot of it into that? Yeah, I mean, that's why I wrote the book. We don't have enough voices encouraging us to succeed, you know. And, you know, you'll have family even at times that uh, may want what's best for you but are doing what's worst for you. You know, and one example of that is, you know, I used to have family coming on Friday and they go, Hey, what are we doing for dinner? Well, Friday's my Wednesday in the NFL. It's not my job. 
as much as I love my mother and father, it's not my job to take them out to dinner on Friday. You guys night. can make eggs. Go make eggs. Yeah, go do. You can do whatever you want. Scramble them, fry them. Your own personal choice. Yeah. So Saturdays, I, I started having them coming on Saturdays and say, "Hey, you want to hang out? Stay till Monday." And like ninety-eight percent of people wouldn't stay till Monday, and they all gave the same, you know, statement. Well, I got work on Monday. Well, great. You know, well, I don't want to interrupt your Monday. Don't interrupt my Wednesday. <laughs> Um, so you just, I, I want to encourage people to make those decisions because they do matter. And whether you lose friendships forever or for a moment, it's all worth it when you achieve your goal, because there's time afterwards to reconnect, refocus, reprioritize. But when you're in it and you want to achieve a goal, go do it and do not be denied. So I got, I got two last questions for you. My first one is pivot, uh, into a lot of broadcasting. Was that always an interest of yours? Well, started, man. I want to be able to work where I can still wear sweatpants. You know, that's a that's a benefit of the NFL. This year, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, well, who knows? Who knew that a pandemic would change everything? But, um, you know, I really value uh, – I really want to humanize and educate people about the game they love, and especially with football, playing at a high level, winning at a high level. I, I get to explain things differently using the fact that I lived all across this country um, to really explain and – in simple terms, what makes a place so great? What makes a team so great? What makes the situation so interesting uh, and the decisions that were made? And I have a lot of fun doing that. So this is my last question. I don't know if you've ever gotten this question before, but I saw a quote attributed to you and I want to confirm it. Is it true you put milk duds in popcorn? Oh, come on, man. Absolutely. I've never There's heard no of other way. I've oh, never man. Heard. You, you get yourself, you know, <laughs> I don't put the butter in there, but you get yourself some milk duds. You throw the box in, you know, flatten the box, throw it away. There's always one at the bottom, my friend. Always one at the bottom, Zach. You ever, you ever accidentally like chew real hard on a piece of popcorn? You're like, I didn't mean to do that. Like, if you're not looking, you're, I don't know. That, that's interesting. The thing is, like, people haven't gone to the movie theaters, or most people haven't gone to the movies in months. But like, as soon as we get back, I'm trying that. I'm gonna try that out. Oh, see. dude, I can't wait. But then, but this has been a blast. I just wanted to thank you again for chatting for a few minutes. I know you're real busy, but how can people find you on social media if they want to keep up with you? Yeah, check me out on Instagram uh, at Ryan Harris underscore 68. I'm on Twitter, uh, search Ryan Harris or salams underscore from underscore 68. And check out my website, ryanharris68.com or grab my book on Amazon, The uh, Mindset for Mastery. Awesome, man. Well, I'll, I'll link everybody to that, but this has been a pleasure and I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Zach. And congrats on the championship. Gerardo Parra was my guy, man. I love it. Baby Shark. I don't know what, he's like in Japan <laughs> now, so hopefully he's doing all right. He, he's amazing. Hey, but this has been a blast, a man. Basic. Yeah, Absolutely. Too, Thanks again.
I've got nothing 